It's Friday, October 20th, and from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is Pennsylvania Legacies. I'm Josh Rollerson. Abandoned oil wells are all over Pennsylvania. Nobody knows exactly how many or where all of them are located. At any given moment, any one of those wells could start leaking. And there's not much the state can do about it. With over 200,000 abandoned wells in Pennsylvania, at the current rate of well plugging by the DEP, we'll never get it done. There is one bit of good news. Independent oil and gas operators have been known to take on well plugging projects on their own initiative. They live in the same communities where they're working, and they have a lot of pride in their towns and the lands around them. They recognize that there's a real issue here. It's not going to get any better if we don't start working together. The state's Good Samaritan law was supposed to make it easier and less risky for private actors to help out where the Department of Environmental Protection can't, but the law wasn't designed with oil wells in mind. Could overhauling the Good Samaritan law encourage more voluntary efforts in this area? That's coming up on today's show. Pennsylvania House of Representatives is in recess once again after another flurry of activity this week. Again, failed to wrap up the state budget process once and for all. It's now been ongoing for more than 111 days and counting. However, the final pieces are gradually falling into place and progress has been made on some unrelated bits of environmental legislation as well. Here to break it all down for us is former DEP Secretary David Hess, our eyes and ears in the state capitol. Welcome back, David. Glad to be back. What's happening now with the revenue package? We Last time we spoke, we were at some kind of an inflection point where the spending plan that had been passed over the summer is being paid for, kind of, but there were still some, some other matters to be resolved. Where do those stand this week? Well, for all those who are following the 111-day now budget uh, battles in Harrisburg, get out your scorecards. The uh, governor is continuing to implement a default what I call a default state budget, so we'll set that aside. The House Republicans this week uh, came up with yet another uh, package, revenue package, to pay for the budget they nearly unanimously voted for back in June. Uh, One piece has gone to the governor, an administrative code bill that uh, has a number of pieces in there that are important to funding the budget. For the environment, it it's, has good stuff and bad stuff. The good stuff is uh, the bill contains a provision that would indefinitely extend the $2 ton recycling fee, so that's good. It has a provision in that would require solar energy credits created under our alternative energy portfolio standards uh, to be purchased uh, within Pennsylvania with Pennsylvania projects, so that's good. On the bad side, Uh, It eliminates the manganese standard for discharges from mining operations and reclamation operations and replaces it with a a way of enforcing those standards, which would essentially mean we have no standard. So that has good and bad elements in it. The governor is likely to sign it or allow it to become law, however. The second piece in the House Republican Revenue package is another tax code bill. They passed a tax code bill, but they changed it. Uh, The good news is that uh, this tax code bill does not have any of the harmful permitting, quote, reforms in it that would devastate DEP's permitting uh, programs. So that's good. That goes back to the Senate now. 
and uh, they uh, are coming back in next week, next Monday, the 23rd, and have to decide whether to agree with it and send it to the governor or not. The third piece is that, and it's not part of the House Republican budget plan, is that the House Finance Committee reported out a uh, severance tax bill um, that uh, would uh, generate some revenue, but all that revenue would go to the general fund and not to any environmental program. It also includes provisions related to setting minimum royalties for landowners who lease their oil and gas rights to drilling companies. And that's a whole issue by itself. It faced heavy opposition in the committee. It's going to face heavy opposition on the floor of the House. Uh, we'll just have to see where that goes. But again, uh, there's no uh, benefit to environmental programs in there. It all goes to the black hole of the general fund. So those are the three big items that happened this week uh, related to the budget. So again, th there are more pieces to this and we'll have to see how those pieces uh, fare uh, in the next couple of weeks. Okay, so to recap, the administrative code is on the governor's desk, tax code approved by the House on its way back to the Senate, and then the next shoe that we're waiting to drop is with the fiscal code and specifically those uh, fund transfers. The severance tax you talked about doesn't have any direct impact on environmental programs one way or the other in, in that the money would go straight into the general fund. However, does this latest severance tax proposal being in play, does that change the math for the other legislation decisions that have to be made? Is it part of the mix or is that an entirely separate thing? Well, globally, it's part of the mix. But um, again, as I said, um, it's not part of the House Republican package. Obviously, whatever amount of money that it would generate in whatever final form might it might take would, would certainly help offset this general state def deficit. But again, it's of no benefit to environmental programs. Now, the one comment that the Senate made, uh, which was rather chilling this week, was that Senator Corman said that they will not entertain a severance tax unless those harmful permit, quote, reforms that the Senate passed, like third-party permit review, uh, permits deemed approved, uh, even though DEP would not have completed its, its review of those permit applications, the, Senator Corman said they would not entertain a severance tax without those pieces. So again, that's really on a separate track. And as I mentioned, you know, introducing this whole minimum royalty issue further complicates an already complicated picture. And I'm glad you mentioned the fiscal code bill because that piece is yet the biggest piece yet to be done in this whole package. And uh, the House has, has uh, passed you know, a fiscal code bill before that had a lot of harmful withdrawals from uh, environmental funds. Um, the interesting thing that they're playing with right now in the House is an idea that they would say, Governor, you have to withdraw 500 or $300 million from special funds, but you decide where they should come from and sort of shifting the burden onto the governor. So we'll have to see where that particular piece comes out. 
separate and apart from budget and sort of budget adjacent uh, legislation, we also had some progress on a utility safety bill. Can you explain that? Yeah, Senator uh, Lisa Baker from Luzerne County has been trying to uh, get through legislation that would update what's known as the PA1 call program, where contractors have to call to see if there are any utility lines in the in an area where they're digging or construct or doing construction, and the Senate successfully added uh, a large number of unconventional and conventional nat- natural gas gathering lines, which is a huge, huge area that was left out of the program before. The House this week uh, passed that legislation uh, very handily. It's now going back to the Senate for concurrence, and uh, I'm told the Senate probably will concur. So that's, I think, a big plus for pipeline safety-related issues, and something that a lot of groups have been been supporting, and some in the conventional oil and gas industry have been opposing. Uh, What about this uh, possible overhaul of the electronic waste law? What's happening there? Well, as people have found out on their own, it's, it's fairly difficult in many areas of the state to take their old TV, their old computer monitor, or old computer to get it recycled properly, even though we have an electronics waste recycling law. Uh, the problem is that law hasn't worked. It needs major changes, and Senator Alloway from Franklin County has introduced a major overhaul of that whole program. Uh, that's going to be the subject of hearing here in Harrisburg on October 24th by the Senate Environmental Committee. Um, so we'll have to see uh, how people feel about that. Certainly no one likes the existing uh, e-waste uh, recycling program because it doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? What's wrong with it? In terms of what's wrong with the current system, manufacturers of electronics equipment are paying for the system, but they only pay up to a point. And many communities have been left high and dry because each year the law as it stands now sets poundage targets. In other words, it says you companies have to pay only for so many pounds of e-waste collected and recycled. So many communities got stuck because obviously there's a lot of stuff out there. They collected all this stuff and then the e-waste just lays around because the companies have reached their threshold of paying for it. And that system just doesn't work. And that's what this bill is designed to uh, to prevent these communities getting stuck with waste that the manufacturers aren't paying to have recycled. DEP Secretary Emeritus David Hess is our guy in Harrisburg, tells us what's going on. Thanks again for your time today. I don't know about Emeritus, but I've been around for a long time. We'll just go with it. Thanks very much. Next week in Wilkesbury, Peck and the Northeastern Pennsylvania Environmental Partners will welcome guests from across the region to the 27th annual Evening for Pennsylvania's Environment. It's an opportunity to reconnect with colleagues and celebrate achievements. It's also a chance to recognize the work of a select few who've made extraordinary contributions over the last year. 
This year's highest honor will go to someone who's made his mark on Northeastern PA over more than 40 years in conservation, first as Parks Director for Carbon County and later as a DCNR Natural Resource Supervisor. Dennis DeMera will receive the Thomas P. Shelburne Environmental Leadership Award on Thursday night. In recognition of the award, TV station WNEP in Scranton produced a profile detailing some of Dennis's accomplishments. It aired earlier this month on WNEP's Pennsylvania Outdoor Life, hosted by Don Jacobs. It's worth watching the full segment, and we have posted it on our website at peckpa.org. But for now, here's just a little taste. In 1977, Dennis worked to create the 18-mile Switchback Gravity Trail. It was one of the first rails-to-trail systems in the country. This was bridge was here too when you were here? No, this is the bridge I built. You built this bridge? Yeah. <laughs> what didn't you do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I built this bridge. And this is on the switchback trail. Yeah, there's there was not it was it was a huge gap. I mean this was one of my early projects. He received awards for utilizing the Youth Conservation Service Corps and brought national recognition to the area for receiving the National Watershed of the Year Award for his conservation and outdoor recreation projects. He has worked with many groups, agencies and organizations to help plan the future of the area. In fact, 25 years ago he had a vision to replace a bridge and met with consultants before putting it into the planning book. The trail comes in on river right of the rail trail through Lehigh Gorge. The canal is on river left. We need to put the old mansion house bridge back in Jim Thorpe to make this connection. Well, it's just exciting to see that it was put in the plan and in that 25 years later, that bridge is being built. So you have to say, oh man, <laughs> it took a long time, but it's happening right now. Well, you chip away at it one, one step at a time and you never know when it's all going to come together. Pennsylvania Outdoor Life's segment on Dennis DeMera, winner of the Thomas P. Shelburne Environmental Leadership Award to be given out this week at the Northeastern Pennsylvania Environmental Partners Dinner in Wilkesbury. PA Outdoor Life also spent some time this fall with another of our 2017 award recipients, the Susky Bassmasters. The group, based in Luzerne County, is being recognized for its efforts to improve public access and use of the Susquehanna River watershed, and also for conservation work that members have done to benefit the river, its wetlands, and wildlife resources. Here's group member Christian Ostrowski talking about some of their accomplishments. We collect funds and put a lot of the money back into the, the city and the park here. For example, we did a solar lighting project last year, and then this year we have a park bench project where we're installing eight park benches in Nesbitt Park. We help with the soliciting of um, donations and feedback and support for the boat ramp project through the city and uh, local, state, and federal organizations. Over, over the last several years, we've seen the, the quantity and quality of fish coming in consistently improving. And if not improving, it's staying the same. Not to mention the, the aquatic um, system, how it is with the, the insects. The mayfly hatches are incredible, as well as the early uh, spring uh, stonefly hatches. The, the numbers are there, and you can, you can physically see when you get on the river the changes that uh, the state and local and federal government has instituted to clean up the river. The Susky Bassmasters will receive one of six 2017 Environmental Partnership Awards next week. 
The group was profiled last month on Pennsylvania Outdoor Life on WNEP-TV, Channel 16 in Scranton. Don Jacobs is the show's host, and he's also the MC for the awards dinner next week, sharing a bill with keynote speaker Cindy Adams-Dunn, of course, the Secretary of the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. The dinner will be held Thursday, October 26th. As I record this, there are still some seats available. You can find more details and learn how to reserve your spot at our website, PECPA.org. That's P-E-C-P-A.org. Just go to the events tab and look for the 27th annual evening for Pennsylvania's environment. After a century and a half of oil drilling, Pennsylvania is riddled with hundreds of thousands of abandoned wells. The Department of Environmental Protection doesn't have the resources to find and plug even a fraction of those wells. That's why they're trying to encourage businesses and private citizens to help out, like one company recently did in Warren County. Scott Perry with DEP's Office of Oil and Gas Management takes up the story. One of our uh, operators who has a lease on the Allegheny National Forest, one of his employees was out hunting and he discovered an abandoned well um, in, on an island in the middle of the Tyanesta Creek right near Sheffield in Warren, Pennsylvania. And this well was actually leaking oil. It had pooled up on the island and uh, was, was leaking into the creek. And I think he followed the sheen up the, up the stream to this, to this abandoned well. And any way of knowing when this well was drilled, who might be responsible if they were still around? Well, we certainly don't have any records to indicate who drilled the well, but given it's the, the d- level of deterioration and the, the construction of the well, uh, we believe it was drilled sometime in the early 1950s. And are there a lot of these uh, old oil wells on islands and rivers in Pennsylvania? Um, well, I don't know about a lot of them on islands and rivers, but they certainly are there. And in fact, we've seen some records that indicate that they were intentionally drilled in the island. It wasn't like the island was necessarily formed around the abandoned well. But unfortunately, uh, we have tens of thousands of abandoned wells, even hundreds of thousands of abandoned wells in Pennsylvania. And uh, many of them, we, don't, we do not know uh, their precise locations. And any of them at any time presumably could could spring a leak and you've got oil draining into a body of water potentially. Yeah, that's right. And even creating some life-threatening situations with respect to abandoned gas wells that um, for no apparent reason, perhaps a casing has finally deteriorated or there's been some kind of change in the subsurface pressures, but they'll, they'll start leaking spontaneously, creating environmental and safety hazards. These are not inexpensive to remediate, I understand, I, w- I would think. Yes, the, 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 we, we typically deal with the worst ones. So our, our pr- plugging prices for an oil well might be um, on the low end of $20,000. Uh, but obviously, you never know what's going to happen downhole until, until the rig gets over top of it and you get the wellhead off. So you could have all kinds of, of obstructions in the well. You could have had... Uh, rotted out casing. So it's not unusual for uh, our plugging costs to exceed $100,000 for some of these uh, really deteriorated gas wells in particular. So in a situation like the one we're talking about, this is a case where a private citizen took it upon himself to do this work. Does this happen very often? Do people just volunteer their services to clean up an abandoned well? No, and in fact, this is really 
um, the first time that that one of our uh, conventional operators or anyone for that matter has come forward and said I have I have no interest in this well uh, I'm not going to get any benefit out of, of out of plugging it but you know as a as a as an operator in this area uh, I want to do the right thing by my community and take care of a legacy problem of my industry so as it was really um, I give I give the company a lot of, a lot of credit. They truly are uh, good Samaritans, as as the uh, the law that they're they're working under um, aspires for. You said this is the first time this has happened. Why isn't it more common? What might be preventing operators from from doing similar kinds of good Samaritan like initiatives? Well, I think um, the first main issue is that. I don't think most people know that the Good Samaritan law um, exists for, for well plugging projects. Uh, if you read the law, it's really clear that, that it was written f for uh, mining reclamation projects, and well plugging was kind of thrown in uh, as an afterthought. So uh, we haven't been, been widely advertising it, because even I did not know that it was here until a couple, a couple of years ago. Um, obviously, just the, as I told you, talked about earlier, uh, there is a lot of financial uncertainty uh, when you get into one of these projects. You could come onto a well and think it's going to cost you maybe five, ten thousand dollars, and because of uh, complexities in the well, it now has doubled or tripled in price. Um, but I think that's exactly what this Good Samaritan law is here for, where uh, people can try, and as long as they don't leave the site, you know, worse off than how when they got there. I think there's protections in place for them to be able to walk away without having some kind of long-term liability hanging over their head. But, but, the, but the costs are definitely a concern. Uh, the, the notoriety of, of the statute is, is probably an impediment. And I think even within the statute, there's opportunities to streamline the process so that uh, if someone does want to engage the Good Samaritan Act, uh, we can get them approved to to begin well plugging in hours, not days, not weeks, not months. And right now, it takes weeks or months. It it does. There there are a couple of provisions in there that that the very fastest we could turn this around would be more than a month. So uh, streamlining the process, making it more responsive. What else needs to change, or what else could change? Well, clearly, we need to do a bit uh, better job of of talking about the successes that, that we're, we're, we're starting to see here with the Good Samaritan Law. I think that there are, there are more uh, businesses, uh, individuals that share these concerns with, you know, ha potential hazards on, on public land, on private land, um, letting people know that there's a, a, a real way to, to do some charitable work, if you will, and leave, leave the environment better off uh, as a result. So I in order to make these changes, we would need to see legislation introduced. What's the process for that? Well, we've got a couple of um, plans, actually. Um, I am going to be going up uh, to Bradford in McKean County uh, tomorrow, in fact, to uh, meet with a bunch of the local senators and representatives, along with some of the conventional drillers to talk about uh, just this in fact. We're going to talk about other things as well, but one of the things I'm, we're, 
myself and some of the uh, the Pennsylvania Grade Crude Oil Coalition is putting together this this tour, uh, and, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about um, opportunities to to work on common interests and streamlining the Good Samaritan law, making it specific or having sections of it specific to well plugging is one of the things we're going to talk about. And I've talked about this also with uh, Secret Secretary McDonnell and uh, and our legislative director. So so it's 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 a an, an interest that we're we're you know trying to communicate broadly. Uh, obviously we need a legislative sponsor to to move this forward. But um, you know when it comes to when it comes to getting abandoned wells plugged, we're going to do whatever we can to, to, to get, get that work done. And at a time when DEP's resources are stretched rather thin, this is one of those cases where, I don't know if, if you would call it a public-private partnership, but it's that thing where industry does its part and you work together. Yeah, that's right. And in my opinion, that is the only real viable solution we have in front of us right now. Um, we, we get very, very little money to, to plug abandoned wells. Um, and it's funded through a surcharge on our well permit. So every well permit we get for a gas well, we get $250 to plug a well. For every permit from an oil well, we get $150 to plug wells. Um, so it takes thousands and thousands of applications to get enough money to, to have any real impact. And in fact, since the program began in 1989, we've only been able to plug 3,000 wells. And as I say, we have an estimate, the low estimate of, of over 200,000 wells out there that we don't even know of yet. So um, we, we are, the DEP is not going to be able to solve this problem alone. We, we, need, we need all hands on deck and we'll, we'll take help whatever way we can get it. So let's get into some detail about when you say streamline the process. What specifically are we talking about? Um, well, there are some there are some notification requirements uh, in the statute. Uh, for example, you're supposed to notify adjacent landowners, and that really is is not it's not defined. And so, for example, the well we're talking about here is in the middle of the Allegheny National Forest, and there are thousands of adjacent landowners to the Allegheny National Forest. I don't think that was the the, the legislature's intent to have have uh, all of Elk, Warren, and Forest, McKean counties uh, be notified of, of this uh, project. And then after that direct notification occurs, uh, we'll, publish, we'll publish notice uh, of this project in the Pennsylvania Bulletin for a 30-day comment period. Um, it, I, just, I think there, sh there should be a discussion on the value of of putting a project like this in the Pennsylvania Bulletin, which has limited readership um, for a 30-day comment period, when you're not extinguishing anybody's property rights, you're 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 eliminating a liability, you're remedying uh, a, an environmental or public public safety threat. Yeah, I think that we should we should really look at at uh, as minimal process of getting a project like this approved as possible. And you work with a lot of these oil and gas operators. Do you get the sense that more of them would be willing to step up and do this kind of work if they felt better protected, felt that the process would, would, would work for them a little bit more smoothly? Well, that's I do. Um, and I know that this is a point of discussion among the conventional uh, industry leaders. And, and it's truly among the leaders of, of the industry here. Um, they, as they say, they want to get caught doing something good. 
and uh, they they you know, they truly do live they live in the same communities where they're where they're working, and they have a lot of pride in their in their towns and and the the, the lands uh, around them. So, I, I think that there is they recognize that there's a real there's a real issue here. It's not going to get any better if if we don't start working together. And and this is just the first step. So I'm I'm really excited about about uh, future opportunities to do more of this kind of work. What else do you see down the road maybe by way of future opportunities? Well, I already know um, that some of the other some of these operators are are planning to submit uh, additional applications. Um, they, as, as folks, you know, the may or may not know, um, they estimate that over half of the oil in Pennsylvania is still in the ground. And when I was talking to some of the uh, conventional operators, they're actually looking at buying up old leases that have abandoned wells on them because they know that there's that there was oil there. They're not um, wildcatting. They're not exploring. They're going to go back where where there's oil, but they also want to get. They need to get these wells plugged um, because if the casing rots out, the uh, groundwater could start to flood out the, the oil producing formation and obviously there's that's there's bad news uh, for for the driller but it's also now another environmental problem where you could have this commingling of oil and brine and fresh groundwater so we see an, a, a real opportunity to prevent an environmental problem and they see an opportunity to enhance the recovery of a new well they might drill. So, so there's, there is a, a, a financial incentive there. But as I said, with, with over 200,000 abandoned wells in Pennsylvania, at the current rate of well plugging by the DEP, we'll never, we'll never get it done. Scott, thanks a lot. Uh, pleasure talking with you. Perry is Deputy Secretary of the Office of Oil and Gas Management in the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection. And that's the show for this week. Thanks for tuning in, and thanks to Don Jacobs and WNEP at Show Pennsylvania Outdoor Life for providing audio from their segments on our award winners for the Northeast Dinner next week. We've got those videos on our website at pecpa.org where you can also find past episodes of Pennsylvania Legacies and blog posts, news, events, and information about PEC programs in all the areas we work in across Pennsylvania. Again, visit PECPA.org for more. Follow us on Twitter at PECPA and look for us on Facebook. One production note for you, we've been posting new episodes every week for about the last year. We're going to change it up slightly for the uh, immediate future and go to a schedule where we'll be posting new episodes every other week. So next Friday, no show, but we will be back the week after that. Again, Pennsylvania Legacies will be posting new episodes on alternating weeks starting this week. Until next time for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson. Thanks for listening. <music>